take your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew, where we will continue this morning, and I think you'll see the relevance of the message, even though we're not breaking from the series, you'll see the relevance to fathers especially. Matthew chapter 6, and we will read the Lord's Prayer as it's worded here. It's also found in Luke chapter 11. The greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're in the middle of it. We've already gotten through chapter 5 with the Beatitudes, the real text of the message in verse 20. But here we've come to private prayer. And Jesus gives us the model prayer beginning in verse 9. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. That's the thing we want to consider today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then the words that were called our attention even by the men's singing, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Today we consider the sixth and final petition of what is known as the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer that Jesus gave to His disciples, and by extension to us. I hope we follow this template. But the sixth petition is in verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, because there's two parts to that petition, we kind of think that it might be two petitions. I, I really don't think it is. I don't treat it that way. Part B, deliver us from evil, is really an exposition of part A, lead us not into temptation. We are asking God, listen carefully, we're saying to God, far from not merely giving us over to temptation, would you powerfully keep us from it? That's the essence of this. I'm sure you would agree with me that the salvation experience is the watershed moment of anyone's life. The moment when God makes all things new. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There is that watershed moment. We may not know exactly when it was, looking back. But just as surely as you keep traveling west, you're going to cross the international date line, whether you realize it or not. There isn't a moment of time when you are born again by the Spirit of God, if you are truly saved. From the God standpoint, it's regeneration. From man's standpoint, it's conversion. But that just marks the beginning. It marks the beginning of a declared war on the world, the flesh, and the devil, the three enemies that every child of God has. And so while we celebrate the peace and joy that we enter into when we come to Christ, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Ghost, and I wouldn't take away from that at all, let's be honest about it, 
In a real sense, the fight has just begun when someone gets saved. God doesn't make us Teflon-coated so that we don't feel the pain of trial and temptation. Yes, He's faithful. He will not suffer us to be tempted above that we are able. And He will make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it or bear up under it. The message today is for everyone, male or female, young or old. We will never get past having to face temptation in this life. We can never afford to let down our guard. We can never cease to pray this prayer while dwelling in these temples of clay. But I say without any apology and without any hesitation that as men and especially fathers, we desperately need to pray this prayer in faith. Lead me not into temptation. I don't need to belabor the point and curse the darkness this morning, but we live in an X-rated society that does not care one fig about the family and integrity and true love as God ordained it. And folks, we're up against it. George Barna tells us, this is a recent statistic, 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors in America view pornography on a regular basis. One-third of all women, 25 and under, visit porn sites every month. It's not just a man's problem. And yet we read that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Our Savior is at the right hand of the Father, and as He did for Peter, He is praying for us, and He is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before the throne of His presence. I hope you see the relevance of this message. I, see you, I hope you see the need for it. I hope I have your attention. There is a clear link between the fifth and sixth petitions. The fifth petition that we considered two weeks ago, forgive us our debts, or as it says in Luke's account, our trespasses, our sins. Forgive us our sins, even as we forgive those who sin against us. There's a link between that and this petition, and lead us not into temptation. There's a reason that the conjunction and is there. That's inspired. Let's not be content with mere forgiveness, as wonderful as that is, and I hope we never get over it. But upon realizing that our past sins are pardoned, we need to pray fervently for grace to be kept from repeating them. We need both remission of sin's guilt and we need deliverance from sin's power. And only a believer with a sense of how awful sin is, will pray this prayer in a worthy way. Lead me not into temptation. He'll want to nip sin in the bud. I wish this hymn were in our hymn book. 
It's one of the great ones by Charles Wesley, and I'm not going to sing it for you. I have heard the tune, but I'm afraid I'd mess it up. And after the stellar job of those men, who wants to do anything anticlimactic? But it's a great hymn. It goes like this. I want a principle within of watchful. That's the second stanza. But let me give you the other first. I want a principle within of watchful godly fear. A sensibility of sin, a pain to feel it near. I want the first approach to feel of sin or wrong desire to catch the wandering of my will and quench the kindling fire. What if every one of us men memorized that and prayed that every day? But we're cavalier about sin and temptation. I want to examine this verse, especially the first half of it, verse 13, and ask and answer three important questions this morning. First of all, it's a very basic question, could get more basic than this, what is temptation? So before we go any further, let's examine the meanings of the words tempt or temptation in the Bible, of course it's found in the Hebrew of the Old Testament and in the Greek. For the most part, there's a, a twofold meaning of the word tempt in Scripture. The first one is to try the strength of. And the first occurrence of the word tempt is in the Bible, or one of the first, is Genesis 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. God tested Abraham to prove him. It's important to understand that God tempts only in this sense, as, as we will notice, we'll turn to James 1.13 in a moment. But there the Bible makes it clear that God does not entice anybody, man or woman, boy or girl, to sin. But He does test His children to reveal us to ourselves. He already knows. He doesn't need to find out anything. He tests us so that we learn the sin that is in our own hearts, and sometimes, as in the case of Abraham, to learn the faith that is there that we may not realize. The first sense of the word tempt is to try the strength of but then the sense that we're most familiar with and which is our default setting when we hear the word is to entice to sin. And for that, I would ask you to turn to James chapter 1, verse 13, the verse I referred to in a very familiar verse when we think of temptation. James 1, verse 13 in the New Testament, the Bible makes it clear that God entices or solicits no man to do moral evil. We read here, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man, generically, any woman, any human being. God is never the author of sin. He could and would never lead anyone, certainly one of His children, into a situation in which they would be purposefully induced to sin. And yet this distinction in these two meanings of the word tempt 
is not always clear in Scripture. We, we need to be clear about it. In fact, James, the same writer that we just read, in the previous verse, chapter 12, or in verse, I'm sorry, a little bit early in the chapter, verses 2 and 3, he said, my brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse or different temptations. It's per- parosmos, a form of the same word as tempted in verse 13. Since James tells us that God would never tempt a man in the sense of soliciting him to sin, why should we ask him to do what Jesus commands us to pray? Lead me not into temptation. If God's not going to tempt any person to do evil, why should we even pray that prayer? Isn't that a fair question? And I want to answer that if I can. I think it will help us to realize that a situation or an opportunity to sin is not in itself a temptation. The writer James had explained that every man is tempted when he is drawn away or drawn aside, it could be translated, of his own lust, his own desire, and enticed. You see, an outward opportunity to sin has to be combined, it has to be paired up with an inward inclination or a desire to sin for it to be a temptation. Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews, was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin, yet apart from sin. Furthermore, we read in John chapter 14 verse 30 that Jesus said, and He is the only one who could say this honestly, the prince of this world cometh. Who's that class? Who's the prince of this world? Satan, the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. We believe unashamedly in the impeccability of Jesus Christ. Not only did he not sin, but he could not sin. Satan had nothing to appeal to in Jesus, even though he threw all kinds of opportunities at him, including his temptation in the wilderness. So let's not blame God for every opportunity to sin that we face. Just because he's omniscient and we think, well, he should know how we will be affected by that. Oh, how clever our hearts are to blame God. The great Puritan that I've read a lot after in the last few years, ever since you gave me 16 of his books on the 10th anniversary of my being pastor, John Owen. You've got to read him two or three times, but when you finally understand him, what a blessing. He said this, temptation is like a knife. It may either cut the meat or the throat of the man eating it. It may be either his food or his poison. It depends on the man. So we need to understand this sixth petition as a desire on the part of the believer to avoid the danger, to avoid the heartache, to avoid the, uh, the trouble that sin creates. I think a, a good paraphrase of this petition would be, allow us to be spared from the trying circumstances that would tempt us to sin. We are asking that we should never be led into a situation where we are liable to be tempted by the devil. Isn't this in keeping with what Jesus 
said to his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, we just talked about that a couple of Sundays ago when we had the Lord's table last on a Sunday morning. Matthew 26, verse 41, he came back to his sleeping disciples and he said, watch and pray, after asking them, why could you not watch with me one hour, watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. God permits sin, but he does not promote it or induce it. So what did Jesus mean by the phrase, enter into temptation? We're not parsing words here. This is critically important. Prepositions are just as inspired as nouns and verbs. What did Jesus mean by the phrase, enter into temptation? It's what he said to the disciples, the sleeping disciples in the garden. He said, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. He commanded us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Temptation is one thing, but that's something we can avoid, but entering into temptation is quite another. I mean, we cannot avoid temptation, but entering into temptation is quite another, something we better avoid at all costs. Listen carefully to what I'm about to say, if you don't hear anything else. If we are about to enter into the zone of temptation, Please don't expect alarms and whistles to go off, flashing lights. There's not going to be a computerized voice that says, step back, you have activated inventory control. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? To enter into temptation is clearly more than merely being tempted. It is more than the ordinary work of Satan through our depraved nature in two ways. You probably haven't heard this. For a long time, I didn't. I'm not claiming originality. The Lord used John Owen to help me understand this. What does being led into temptation, what does it mean? Well, first of all, it is to fall into temptation. And the picture here is that of a man falling into a deep pit where wherein there are hidden snares, and it gets all tangled up. Um, my boy Chad lives not very far from the church, and with four boys, you're going to have sports equipment. And a year or two ago, they had soccer net up, and a deer got caught up in the soccer net. They had to call animal control to come get the deer. He got all tangled in it. That's the picture here. Paul warned Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9, but they that will be rich, they that desire to be rich, fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. And then Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his first epistle, chapter 10, verse 13, and he said something very similar to what he just, we just read that he told Timothy. He said, there hath no temptation taken you, taken you, did you get that? Not just faced you, but there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful and not allow you to be tempted above that you are able and so forth. What a wonderful promise. The idea is one is taken by a temptation. He's tangled up in it. He's held in its cords. But even then, we have the hope of the promises of God's Word about that matter. As Peter writes in the same vein, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation, 2 Peter 2, 9. Even when they're tangled up in it, God knows how to deliver them out of it. 
But secondly, being led into temptation means not only falling into it, but to allow temptation to enter into us. Maybe the best way of describing it is to use the analogy of someone knocking at the door. When temptation is knocking at the door, you're still free. There's no gun to your head. But when you open the door and strike up a conversation with it and banter back and forth with it, it'll start to play with your mind. It'll entice you. It will allure your affections. And you may not even realize it, but you have entered into temptation. That's why we need to pray that prayer of the psalm. Help me the first approach to feel of sin or wrong desire, to catch the wandering of my will and quench the kindling fire. It'd be a different world if Eve had done that when the serpent approached her. She should not even have talked to it. Adam should have protected her. Adam should have told Eve, keep moving, don't stop, plug your ears. But instead she parleyed with the devil. She got way too friendly with that serpent And you know the rest of the story. And when we parley with the devil, Satan gets the advantage. It's never a draw. We're no match for him. And like he did with Peter, he still seeks to do with us. He wants to sift us, winnow us, and then ultimately prevail against us. And this is what we desperately need to pray against, is full-blown temptation. Someone has said it this way. I wish I could remember who it was. I'd be glad to give them the credit. Don't tempt the devil to tempt you. Because a lot of Christians do. Now, there are two ways in which God allows temptation. He permits sin, but He does not promote it. How does God allow or permit temptation? I think it will help us to analyze this. First of all, He permits it objectively by His providence. God does not withdraw from our lives every opportunity to sin. We don't live in a germ-free bubble spiritually. As a parent, I'm sure you remember, even if you don't have children this age, you would go to great lengths to make your home tamper-resistant to some extent for your baby or or toddler. You put some things out of reach. Now, eventually, they got to learn not to touch them, right? You can't do that forever. But you would put safety plugs in the electrical outlets. But sooner or later, your child must realize on his own that fire burns and electricity shocks. And bees sting. Believe me, they do. And gravity brings a sudden bring up when you try to jump from too high a position. And God doesn't make our world tamper resistant spiritually. Not that He couldn't. Oh, yes, He could. But He has His own reasons for leaving some things that our sin nature often wreaks havoc with, objectively by providence. But he permits temptation subject 
subjectively by granting permission to Satan. And right away our minds go back to the story of Job. And in the story of Job, God permits Satan to touch Job. It's very clear that Satan had to get permission to do that. That ought to be a comfort to us. Satan doesn't run free. He permitted Satan to touch Job so much so that Job was encouraged by his own wife to curse God and die. That was pretty bad advice, at least from someone so close to him and when he was at his lowest. Sometimes, for his own purposes, God lifts the restraint off the devil. What what would it be like if he did that absolutely, if he did it for good? But one day he will, and you don't want to be around for that. All hell's going to break loose on this earth. You ain't seen nothing yet. I hope we have a little bit better idea of what temptation is. Secondly, where does temptation come from? Well, an easy answer would be from the devil. I mean, all sin, all temptation, any inducement to do wrong has to come from the devil. You know, he's the father of lies. Since God doesn't tempt any man, and that would be right to a degree, but that would be a very superficial answer because The Bible says, Paul said to the Corinthians, that Satan disguises himself. He transforms himself into an angel of light. Oh, I wish I could talk more about that. That needs to be screamed from the housetops to our churches today. Satan needs, he's transforming himself into an angel of light. It looks so innocent. That's what the crowd is doing. That's what the evangelical crowd is doing. Don't be a stick in the mud. So we just get on board like dupes, like pawns on a chessboard. Satan disguises himself and he uses other influences. And we are commanded not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, so we need to know what he uses to tempt us, right? If we expose Satan, we go a long way to expelling him from our lives. Where does temptation come from? Well, let's start at the most unflattering source of all, and that is self. It comes from ourselves. We read there in James chapter 1, verse 14, every man is tempted, or it goes on to say in that verse, we read verse 13, every man is tempted when he is drawn away, literally drawn aside, drawn out of the path of his own lust. And we read in Jeremiah 17, verse 9, that the heart is very deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? We don't even know our own hearts. We may think, oh, I'd never do that. We don't know. Often the heart is a perfect decoy. So often we're tempted to blame God for things when the root problem is our own hearts. Or even we blame the devil. He gets a lot of credit for things that he didn't really do. It'd be more accurate to blame Adam for starting this tradition of blaming God. That's what he did in Genesis 3, verse 12. It looks like he's blaming Eve for for his sin of partaking of the forbidden fruit when he says, the woman thou gavest me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. 
But really the emphasis there is the word thou. He's blaming God, the woman you gave me. Let's stop there for a moment. Do you realize that Adam was tempted before he even fell? Have you ever talked thought about that? Since then, every man inherits a fallen nature, yes, but if unfallen Adam fell, even though he sinned with his eyes wide open and he was not deceived like he was, there was no ally of Satan on the inside. If, Satan, if, if Adam in that condition fell, what makes us think that we can escape temptation unscathed? Beloved, we have a severe handicap. Thousands of years of moral weakness inherited from the sin nature passed on from our first father affects us. We were created in the image of God. Yes, Adam was. But after Adam sinned, did you catch that little wording in Genesis that is so easy to overlook? He had a son, not in God's image, but in his own image. Huge difference. So the first culprit is us. That's where we ought to look when we are tempted. That's the source. But then, of course, the second one would be Satan. Satan is the one who's back of all sin and temptation. He's called the tempter in Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. Also in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 5, he is the one who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5 verse 8, the apostle Paul introduces the Christian armor passage, that wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 6 with these words, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God, we need every bit of it, that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the schemes, the stratagems of the devil, of Satan. But let's face it, sometimes it's difficult to discern what lying, tempting suggestions come from Satan and which ones come from our own sinful hearts. Do you feel that way? I do. I have a hard time. Could I help you with a couple of things to discern that? I hope this will be a help. Which ones really come from the devil? Which ones come from your own heart? I think the ones from the devil, first of all, a sinful suggestion that is usually more sudden than others could well arise from Satan. Temptations from Satan are compared to fiery darts in the Bible because they're shot so suddenly. So could I just say this? Beware of sudden, vagrant impulses. You haven't even been thinking about that thing. You haven't been setting yourself up for it, but a terrible thought comes across your mind. That's probably just directly from Satan. Satan's suggestions, secondly, are usually more terrible, frightful, and shocking, like blasphemy and suicide. And if it's any consolation, some of God's greatest servants have been troubled by that. Read David Brainerd's journal. and He would talk about having, when he's even having his devotions, he would have atheistical thoughts pop into his mind. 
He was shocked by them. And by the way, the best defense against sin is to be shocked at its presence. But we're not shocked by anything anymore. It's just a click of a mouse or the press of an app away. But when we are shocked by sin's presence, whoa! Where did that thought come from? Satan. Satan. So temptation comes from our own hearts, comes from Satan directly, comes from the world. I'm rereading and meditating on John 17, and I could be easily tempted to just park right there, so I've got to resist that temptation. What a blessing that true Lord's Prayer is. And Jesus prays for His own to be kept from the world in that true high priestly. And His disciples are listening in. They hear every word. May I remind you that the world hates all true believers just as it hates their master. Now the world has different ways of manifesting its hatred. In the early days, Satan tried through the world to use outright persecution of the church, but he quickly found out that the church only grew. The blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. So then he tried plan B, and that was to corrupt the truth. And so a lot of serious heresies got going, the Arian heresy and other things. But in our day, he's got it even more sophisticated. He uses a more subtle and effective plan, and that is this. He entices professing believers through the world to be like the world. And oh, that's tripping up believers all over the place. Like Demas that Paul mentioned in his last epistle to Timothy, at least the last one recorded. Some who earlier were fellow helpers to the truth, like Demas was, as he wrote to the Colossians, he mentioned him, but some forsake true believers willing to, that are willing to bear Christ's reproach. Demas forsook Paul, having loved this present world. He loved it all along. He never could get the victory over it. And so there's the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, the pride of life that makes up the allurement of the world. Let's be on guard against that. And Satan's using that. Would you turn to Galatians chapter 1 verse 4? Galatians 1 verse 4. Just a few weeks ago we turned to Titus chapter 2 verse 14 where it says that Jesus died for our purity. He died to redeem us unto Himself, having purified us from our iniquities, a peculiar people zealous of good works. I think this verse needs to be considered along with that. Galatians 1 verse 4, speaking of Jesus, who gave Himself for our sins that He might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. 
I think we should consciously think that when we pray, deliver us from evil, from the world. And then no treatment of this subject would be done without saying that temptation can arise even from those who are dear to us, even from our friends, our loved ones. They may be unwittingly used of Satan to tempt us. Who would have thought that Jesus would have detected the devil's voice speaking through Peter when he tried to turn him away from going to the cross? In Matthew Matthew 16, verse 23, Jesus turns to Peter in that familiar passage and he says, Get thee behind me, and what does he call him? Satan. Wow. Can you imagine being called Satan by somebody? I'm not talking about a Muslim saying we're the great Satan. Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense, a stumbling block unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. When even our Christian friends would seek to turn us aside from doing our duty, from doing the revealed will of God, Satan can be a lying spirit in the mouths of our loved ones, and we must discern that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 36, that oftentimes a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Certainly Job's wife was used by Satan in that regard when she said, curse God and die. You think Satan will try to tempt us by proxy too? Oh yeah. And so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, what are we doing? We are asking God to take the mask off the devil's agents, his emissaries. But with the time remaining, let me ask one more question and answer it. Why does God allow temptation in our lives? And this is not all found right here in this passage, but as we comb the Scriptures, I think we'll see every one of these four things or five things very quickly. Why does God allow temptation in our lives? The fact that He allows temptation is something we've established beyond a doubt, but the Bible does give us some clues as to why. Number one, God allows temptation in our lives to reveal our hearts to ourselves. There's a most unusual statement found in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31. Please write the reference down. I won't have you turn there for the sake of time. But it refers to one of the godliest kings of Judah, King Hezekiah, tremendous, tremendous man, man after God's own heart. He enacted so many reforms in turning Israel back to the worship of God and eradicating idolatry from Israel. But he wasn't perfect, and the Scriptures are an accurate record of even the imperfections of the godliest men, such as David and King Hezekiah. And it says in 2 Chronicles 32, verse 31, about Hezekiah, God left him. Wow. You say, well, he'll never leave us nor forsake us. No, but in this sense, he can leave us. Why? That he might know all that was in his heart. God withdrew his sensible presence from King Hezekiah. God already knew what was in Hezekiah's heart, but Hezekiah didn't know what was in his heart. And so the Babylonian uh, uh, princes come, and he's imp- he wants to impress them, and he shows all of his glory, all of his wealth, all of his treasures. God left him for a most painful and humiliating discovery. 
In a similar way, God tempted the children of Israel by allowing false prophets to arise among them. Just jot the reference, Deuteronomy 13, verse 3. He wanted to prove them to their own selves, whether they would love the Lord with all of their hearts and souls, as we're commanded in the great commandment of all, or follow after some charismatic Johnny-come-lately imposters. And God tries our sincerity and our love. If we were really sufficiently aware of that, if, if we knew that God can leave us in this sense, not absolutely, His Spirit will never leave us, but as far as His manifest presence, if we really were concerned about that, don't you think we would pray with David in Psalm 119, verse 117, hold thou me up and I shall be safe. Unless God does that, we're goners. It's only by grace we stand. It's not how long you've been saved. It's not how much Scripture you know. It's not how successful you've been in the past. You could fall again and fall foully. Though thank God if you're saved, you cannot fall finally. Hold thou me up and I shall be safe. Why does God allow temptation? Secondly, and this ought to encourage us, He does it to prove the devil wrong. There's a warfare going on in the heavenlies, folks. We know that from the story of Job. God allowed Satan to touch Job, to afflict him, to prove that the devil was wrong when he became the accuser of the brethren about Job to God and said, ah, he'll curse you to your your face if you'll just withdraw your hand and touch all that he hath. So God did withdraw his hand and touch all that Job had. Job refused to curse God, though he had every inducement to do so. Do you think Job understood what was going on in the heavenlies? No. And neither do you and neither do I. But it ought to be enough that if we just obey God, I don't care, though he slay us, yet will we trust him. It ought to be enough that if we just obey God, God's going to prove the devil wrong and get great glory to himself. Somehow. We never know what mighty issues in the heavenlies are playing out in our own trying experience. We never know. Why does God allow temptation in our lives? Number three, to keep us from pride. Just jot down that familiar verse, or at least the verse from the familiar passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, where Paul was given a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was, but we know why it was given to him. He said so. He said, I was given that thorn in the flesh, lest I should be exalted above measure because of the great revelations that he had received. And he had received some tremendous revelations. And that's why he gave so much, penned so many portions of the New Testament. But 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 lest I should be exalted above measure. Listen, beloved, better is the temptation that humbles me than the spiritual accomplishments that make me proud. Notice that Paul referred to this thorn as a messenger of Satan rather than let Paul become proud. God let Paul fall into the devil's hands to a degree for a time. Why does God allow temptation, number four, to comfort others? 
to comfort others so we can comfort others. Second Corinthians 1, 4, God comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort others which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Paul was well acquainted with Satan's wiles, his stratagems, and he wanted to warn and guide others. I advise you, if you haven't done so already, read Pilgrim's Progress. Read the sequel to it. Remember Greatheart. Greatheart, who guided the pilgrims to the celestial city. He knew where the quicksands were. He knew where the hidden reefs were. And if you've been brought through some experiences like that and you know you have an obligation, a sacred duty to warn others and to tell them God will not fail you. You can be a victor too. Fifthly and finally, God will allow us to be tempted to make us long more for heaven. That's our true home. Yeah, we can get homesick, as the song says, for a place we've never been to before. God suffered Israel to be vexed with the Egyptians. Why? That they might long all the more to be in Canaan, the land of, that flowed with milk and honey that He promised them. And may I remind you that we're not going to be home until we get to heaven. Until we get to heaven, we're not going to be in any place where we'll be out of gunshot range from the devil. Satan is cast out of the heavenly paradise. In Revelation 21 verse 10, heaven is compared to an exceeding great and high mountain, so high that the devil's fiery darts fall well short of it. One day he will be consigned to the lake of fire, but may I remind you, he's not there yet. So we're going to have to hold on a little bit longer. And we're not home yet. Oh, may God help us to be sufficiently exercised about this matter of praying. Lord, lead us not into temptation. In this last petition that Jesus gives in the model prayer, He's not asking us to pray for more than what He is praying for us right now. Because in the true Lord's Prayer there, John 17, that I've mentioned, verse 15, He says, Father, I pray not that Thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that Thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Whether that means evil one or just evil, it's all the same. Keep them from the evil. We're not exempt from the evil here. As far as temptation is concerned, But as true believers we are and will be kept and preserved from all that is truly evil. Thank God for that. Psalm 121 verse 7, the Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. We can plead that promise. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Lord, On this Father's Day 2023, whether we're men or ladies, would you give us all manly courage to fight the good fight of faith? Give us wisdom and sincerity to pray daily and intelligently, lead me not into temptation. And Lord, I may be speaking to someone here or maybe watching by means of live stream or even later 
uh, on the podcast in the archives. But they don't stand a ghost of a chance of resisting temptation because they've never been born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the one who's greater in us than he that is in the world. They know not Christ. Oh, help them to see their need to close with him today. To receive him who, to receive his life eternal. And in him they'll receive everything. Forgiveness. Righteousness. Adoption victory. Help them to receive Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen.